Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today, we're bringing you a special episode featuring highlights from the first season. You'll hear from some of the world's top talent innovators and visionaries on things like DE&I, attracting and retaining talent, and what the future of work holds. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. To begin, how are today's talent leaders approaching data? Here is host Sultan Saidov. What are some of the most important things that you think other HR and TA leaders should be prioritizing? Well, first of all, data, right? Having a strong people analytics, even if it's a very small team, people who know how to help you collect, analyze your sentiment data, what are, what are my employees thinking, how to segment it and really understand root causes and underlying themes, super important. Otherwise, you're relying a lot on guesswork or one-off squeaky wheel type of conversations. And that, that can be risky. That can get you to the wrong outcomes or, or help you set the wrong priorities. So I always feel like a strong analytics team should be the backbone of any people function these days. Data ecosystems are a complete mess. If I'm looking at my core system of record and now these systems of engagement that we're building, I don't think I see enough co-innovation across the ecosystem on these fronts. Everyone has big ideas, but I'm not seeing as many big solutions as I need. So I think some sometimes it's kind of not letting that kind of sense of being scared about the data and what it might actually show you in a negative sense, perhaps. I've also had experiences where, you know, in academic research, we often use scales that aren't always positive all the time. There might be like negatively phrased items or targeting certain things like things like anxiety at work or stress. Some organizations have responded before to me to say, oh, no, we don't want you to put any negative items in there. And I have to say, well, why? Surely that will give you some insight as well. It's almost like if you, it's, if the company is an organism, dynamic, adaptive, complex, and iterative, we need to think that getting the knowledge of these parts is very good. But how do you make the blood circulate through this body? How do you make the, the breath bring oxygen to every part of the organization? So what you're talking about is being much more comfortable with the data fluency, but in the flow of work. We've also heard a lot this season about how organizations are upskilling and reskilling their existing workforce. One of the types of data that I think many people know is important but don't know how to utilize uh, is skills. What do you think are some of the things that organizations should bear in mind to try and get the rollout of a new upskilling, reskilling strategy? I think we have to start thinking about propensity to learn and start hiring for potential. We talk about this, but we never do it well. We need to hire for potential to learn because actually we can teach people the skills. The world is changing so fast that a lot of our technical skills are actually getting quicker and quicker, right? Their shelf life is uh, is getting shorter and shorter. And so I think it's really important to create a culture and an organization environment that really prizes learning and encourages learning and feedback and mentoring and coaching and development because that's how people really end up achieving their full potential. So the whole theme around learning, I think, is an incredibly important one. You really, really touched on an area of passion when you started talking about skills and how really that can be the building block of how we think about talent going forward and really the the unit of currency, as I like to think about it. 
I always say you got to work backwards from the business strategy. So the type of path I have followed and has I found to be successful is going to the business, ensuring you as an HR leader have real clarity on what they're trying to achieve this year, next year, and the next three years, right? Three or five years. From that, you can back into, well, what are the talent and skills needs, to your point, need to be for us to be successful? And those are pretty strategic, clarifying conversations. Then you start looking at how common are these skills? Are they scarce or are they abundant? And for the scarce skills, are they expensive to buy currently? Do we think they'll be expensive later? And is there a good way for us, a path for us to upskill? do we think, right? And you, you do that by also looking out the landscape and saying, what are the educational programs? What are the upskilling programs that might exist or might, might apply in these spaces? And from there, you make investment choices. Imagine if it, all this comes to fruition through AI and machine learning. We don't really need anybody to tap on my shoulder to say, hey, you, you're a top talent. Hey, it would be good to, uh, for you to go to go uh, do this. Because you know why I'm saying this? We are missing all the hidden figures, all the hidden jewels of people who might be a little shyer, who never had the exposure, but actually are brilliant people. It also has implications on increasing DE&I. And especially when you think about diversity and inclusion, how are you going to find diversity and inclusion in every corner if you're not using technology to allow people to emerge? we see that it astronomically has a greater impact on the diversity in our pipelines. If we're not requiring a degree, or if we're not requiring a GPA even, I mean, there are just so many levers you can pull. That's really, really helpful. How have you seen companies thinking about success and progress when it comes to DNI? Progress is an interesting way, because I think a lot of the talk around diversity inclusion, it's all about kind of developing a business case. And although that's really good, there's also a moral imperative and an ethical imperative with some of this. So it might be useful to kind of have a think about how do you translate some of those kind of hard metrics that you want to kind of prove a business case around DNI to actually the kind of more softer elements around how do you encourage people to, for example, to feel psychologically safe at work, feel that they can be authentically themselves at work. Give your people a voice. Build allyship groups for underrepresented groups and let the people in the company join those groups to show their support. Lobby for good. You know, I believe every company is a platform for change. So what message are you doing? What are the most senior leaders in the company doing to help continue the narrative? I do think we've seen progress in some areas around creating more diverse and inclusive environments, but there's still a long way to go. And especially at the most senior levels, there's been a lot of progress, for example, in the UK of getting more women onto boards. But I would argue that's the easy bit where we've seen much less progress has been actually getting more women into the senior leadership roles. And so I think, you know, again, the whole diversity and inclusion effort is one that's really important. I think it helps to drive performance. You know, it's important on so many levels. It's not just the right thing to do, but it's also good for business business, but it's hard and it takes a lot of work and a lot of thought. And many companies, frankly, are only at the start of their journey. There are a lot of different generations currently participating in the marketplace. There are everything from your Gen Zers to millennials to boomers still working full-time. And that creates a really interesting, difficult but ultimately, I think, exciting opportunity for companies to understand their talent and leverage their talent better and better. And I don't know that a lot of companies are 
thinking enough about how they segment and really get to know the needs and the aspirations of those different groups and how to meet those needs and aspirations. Because each generation almost has its own subculture, set of expectations, set of needs and desired priorities. And it's both by generation and by life stage. And that creates a lot of complexity as an employer trying to meet your employees where you're at. But if you can and you show the attention and care to really listening and meeting employees and and supporting them with the needs that they have, you're going to not only attract amazing talent, but also retain that talent. And for employers, retention and building cultures are some of the biggest challenges they face in this pandemic work environment. I think we do really need to focus on retention. There's a lot of obviously talk of, you know, the war for talent, the great resignation, and it touches on sort of building a culture when you have a lot of your workforce working remotely a lot of the time. So I think employers need to recognize that and recognize that it's easier than ever to move roles. You know, people don't have to go to an interview at 5.30pm anymore. They can literally hop on a Zoom call at any point during the day. So I think they really need to really be thinking about retention, but listening to obviously their employees within the organisation as to as to what do they want as well and what's going to keep them. Recently, I saw a report which holds that the young people who are joining the business market at the present time will work for around 20 different companies in their career as an average. So we need to integrate this into our business model and consider people who join us for a specific project a new business routine ahead. What do you think is the right way for an organization to think about their recipe for success? What should success look like over the coming years? I would say success looks like the organization has a distinctive ability to track excite, develop, retain truly exceptional talent and create a culture that that talent thrives in. Pay very close attention to culture and leadership. It's one of the things I've learned consistently at all of my jobs. Your success often is based on who you work with, who you work for, and their energy around the work you're doing. Don't try to push water uphill. Go where the business is going. And if you do, you are likely to have success if you follow their lead. Healthy, enduring companies means healthy, enduring cultures. Employee well-being, value-driven, and belonging at the center of it. These are absolute non-negotiables now. They're not nice to have. If you don't have them, you will find it really hard to hold on to your people. And I don't think that this great resignation is a, is a temporary thing. People are moving from jobs where they've had to cope into jobs where they're going to get all of these things that we've discussed. I really hope that we stop waiting for things to go back to normal. Things will never be the way they were. COVID has catalyzed a change in human existence. And I think that the sooner we embrace that, the sooner we can, I think, work through some of the latent anxiety that continues to nag at us and to eat at us. I see in healthcare, people getting completely burnt out. The same thing is happening in recruiting where the business is just wanting to rush all the way forward and they don't recognize that until we have solid answers on return to work as just an example, whether someone's going to be required to work in an office or not, that that's going to make a decision for them that we need to embrace maybe being a hybrid forever. And how do you manage 
a workforce that is spread across frontline out in the field, in person, interacting with customers versus a variety of different types of working arrangements for your white collar and holding together a culture through that is going to be one of the biggest challenges I think that companies face. And I don't know that I have answers there other than observing that it's going to be a challenge we have to face. If something positive came from Corona, it was how HR responsibility and the acknowledgement have changed forever. So HR practitioners have been claiming for a space in the management boards. And now we are seeing how HR is leading the business on a big three team besides the uh, CFO and the CEO. I'm convinced that there is no one within the business environment best place than HR to lead and steer strategic roadmaps, transformation programs. HR in the people business is only becoming more and more strategic and critical to company success, right? As we move into an age when the differentiator is often human capital and the knowledge and skills your worker have. So it's a great area to get into, right? If I were looking back and saying, did I make the right choice? Absolutely. So what does the future hold for the world of talent? If we imagine ourselves five years from now and uh, you envisage the kind of things that would have changed, what would that be? Where do you think it will be five years from now? I think what we are going to have in five years is a huge opportunity to create what I call the composable workforce. The composable workforce does not require you to become a full-time employee, does not require you to be contracted with one company. And beyond the consulting arrangements that we have today, is really create a pool of talent, the open talent. A lot of people are talking about open talent. It's exactly that. The hope that I have is that five years from now, the situation will be very different on diversity and inclusion. I've been looking at this for the last 15, 20 years. We've made some progress, but honestly, it's been pretty incremental and I think it's been glacially slow. For sure, data and technology will transform the landscape. It's going to look super different five years from now. I hope DNI will look different. I think companies across the board are working really hard to increase diversity now. And I would hope to see that, you know, in five years time, we've seen some improvement up the chain as well. And you touched upon this, a bigger focus on automation and on data. I think that we will be able to look at kind of key talent metrics in much more detail and use that and have technology support us in that process. But I also think that talent acquisition and recruitment and talent management, I don't think it will ever lose that kind of personal touch. I think it needs to retain that that real people first kind of attitude. At the end of the day, we want to automate as much as possible and we want to be as, as efficient as possible, but we're hiring humans into businesses. So those humans will want to interact with other humans. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.